The following is a special presentation of the Commercial Appeal. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Take the CA wherever you go. Download the Commercial Appeal app on your smartphone or tablet and get push alerts when breaking news happens. It's a free download for your iPhone and iPad in the Apple App Store and in the Google Play Store for your Android device. This is the Grizzlies Podcast with Grizzlies beat reporter Ron Tillery, columnist Jeff Calkins, and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. Welcome to this NBA Draft edition of the Grizzlies podcast. It's a special one because we are indeed live from the fine studios on Union Avenue um, at the Commercial Appeal. I am Ron Tillery, the beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies, alongside our columnist Jeff Calkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. And we plan to spend uh, quite a bit of time with you, getting you set for the Thursday NBA Draft. Grizzlies have the 17th pick in the first round, the 57th pick in the second round. Guys, I just thought we'd start here because there's always this debate about taking the best player available versus need. And it's just my opinion that if there's ever a draft where you take the best player, this is it because it will undoubtedly line up with need because the Grizzlies need everything. <laughs> they need everything, right? <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, you, you just got to take you can the argue, best guy. You can argue that they have less need for bigs than for wings or backup point or whatever. Right. I suppose in the, in the, um, in the, in the, as you, as you balance the needs, um, it's a weird question. The, um, the best player versus need, because of course it often doesn't fit. The player who they say is the best player won't turn out to be the best player. Um, and and as Chris discussed in his pick and pop, which if you have three hours, you could read. It's at commercialappeal dot com. Right? No, it's fabulous, and I urge you to read it. What is two hours? Is it, is, it, is it best player for the next two years? For the next four years? For the next six years? That's an interesting question. I insist, though, that fundamentally, if that if this is the basic debate. Need versus best player. You take the best player. And it's because you, you look at – it's funny because let's look at the biggest mistake in Grizzlies draft history. Hashim be right? Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, they didn't have need because they had freaking Marc Gasol on the roster. They, mis- but they misjudged, they misjudged, their, misjudged need. their need. But right, they right. picked him because they wanted a skill set. They wanted a defensive stopper. They decided coming they in, we're Mike drafting Conley. defense this We season. wanted right. defense. And, yes. they, and they underestimated Mark's ability to play defense right. because so, they so didn't think he was that good. They misjudged their roster. Right. Yeah. But the fundamental mistake – Two mistakes. They misjudged their own roster with Mark, but then they totally went for a skill set rather than best player. And you go for the best player. Now, the funny thing is, of course, is that with Tony Roten, another mistake, I guess, as opposed as opposed to – they thought that was best player, but it was it didn't turn out to be best player. The it, best player we just saw playing were, for the Warriors. It was, it was a potential pick. It was an upside right. pick. Um, I, I, I believe the draft is primarily about talent and not about fit. I also tend to think best player available becomes sort of a tidy um, phrase that gets used a lot, and it's not that simple in the room. It the, the the phrase best player available implies that every time a pick comes up, there is some consensus and clear idea of this one individual player is the best player available. Even though you may have a board on the wall and one guy's at 14, one guy's at 15, that 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 clear one after the other after the other is not an accurate reflection of like of of how the rooms opinion may be and that's why i tend to like 
you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't stick to any system. But when people talk about like the tier system, where you you organize players and not into a straight line of one after the other, but into tiers, and within the tier, you may bring fit or need into the equation, but you never go to a lower tier when there's someone in a higher tier available. Because it may be when a pick comes up, there are two players there who you have rated roughly equally. There may not always be this is the one guy we we believe is the best player. It may be two guys. It may be three guys. And at that point, I do think I do think you have to bring your team into the equation in the sense that we talked about this a few weeks ago when we did one of these. It's it's partly about who you pick and it's partly about what you do with them when you get them. And you have to have a plan to develop players. It's not just a magical thing if you pick a player and that player is automatically going to be what he's going to be. Even if it's not an immediate, it's going to help you in the rotation next year, you have to have a path towards doing something with him. And so I think it's a little more complicated than just there's always one player that you are convinced is the best player. I just think it gets a little messier than that. It gets messy when there's not a guy with clear autonomy in the room. Well, there's uh, that too. Because I agree with you about the draft is about taking talent. And the great Jerry West had um, Eddie Jones on his, on his roster with the Lakers, who had a fine NBA career. But he said, we're taking Kobe. And so at that point, to your point, Chris, you know, you keep the one that works out the best. And Kobe clearly had the trajectory to be a great NBA player and off goes Eddie Jones. So that brings me to the the next topic. It's like, what do we think about the Grizzlies power structure? I mean, they will tell you it's Chris Wallace's pick, but clearly John Hollinger will have some say being an analytics guru. As Stefanski isn't just furniture. I mean, it, it seems to be that seems like there's going to be more of a collaboration. My sense that Stefanski's role in the organization has increased, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, that may be right, and may be wrong. It's just sort of reading tea leaves. But you look at his role in in, in, the, in the coaching hire and and in those interviews. You look at all you know. Everyone has brought him up, you know, in interviews of other people talking about the Grizzlies in a way that maybe wasn't true a year ago. I get the sense that Stefanski has, plays a larger role than he used to. Mm-hmm. And I tried to tease this out a little bit in what I wrote today, and, and partly it's just guessing. But I, you get the sense that the, the, the three primary decision makers in the front office, there are sort of three different philosophies at work to a degree. Right. I mean, Hollinger is the easiest to figure because he is published, right? Like right. He's written about <laughs> the draft. And so his, his stuff is rooted in production. There's all kinds of filters and weights you put on there. You, you, you know, we can guess partly what he's written and partly just sort of common sense. But, you know, if you, you filter through how old a player is, the, the level of competition they played against, there are physical factors, I'm sure, in terms of height and wingspan that you throw in. But it all starts with what is your production and how can we try to project that production into the NBA. Chris Wallace has a history of liking pedigree, right? Right. He right. loves like the top ten high school guy. He, he likes pedigree, athleticism, and pedigree. He likes pedigree mm-hmm. and 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 sort of presumed upside beyond what they did. And right. so you get Josh Selby, who was a big time high school player who wasn't that great in college, and Xavier Henry and Tony Roten and John Martin last who was physical tools, yeah, tools or, guy. OJ yeah. Mayo, who when he was fifteen years old, everyone thought he was going to be next LeBron James, and like you you fixate on that and not so much the mediocre maybe season he had in college, right? right? And Stefanski's harder to figure out because he hasn't been here as long. But I maybe I may be wrong about this, but the best sense I get is maybe he is more of a traditional scout's idea of tools, like who who has the the, the tools of a of an NBA player, and not as much the other is stuff. There, and so there's three different sort of things at play. Is there a common? I think we can. First of all, I think we looking at the Grizz draft in the in the in the past, it's not actually the disaster forever that people 
said it is. Kyle Lowry was a very good pick. The, the good ones didn't stay. Well, that's Great. what I was going to say. A, a lot of pick. it is about development, not Darrell Arthur was a very good pick. Right. They actually have had some pretty good mid-level picks. But to the extent that they have made mistakes, is there a common theme? Um, well, I mean, you know, the three guys I just named just sort of all fit together and that they were players who were highly rated coming out of high school who underperformed that projection in college and, and the pick was made to believe in the pedigree over the production. Um, you can find other examples, I'm sure, where, where that's been a good bet for people. But, but I guess, you know, some of the worst picks later have been players that were sort of upside picks and the guys who weren't proven, like a Roten, like a Selby, like a, um, a Xavier Henry. I don't know. Well, well, the the later picks were clearly Chris Wallace. They right. they fit, you know, his philosophy of, of picking players, the Selbys and the Rotens of the world. Jordan Adams does not so much though. No, that's presumed to be like a Hollinger type. Yeah, thing. I mean that, that. I mean you can you can look, Kevin Pelton's product stuff on ESPN, which is not the same as Hollinger's, but it comes from the same kind of world. He had he had Jordan Adams ranked as the top ten player in that draft. So the mm-hmm. so the, the stat stuff loved Jordan Adams. We've argued about this before. I don't want to go down a whole tangent, but Jordan right. Adams has had three knee surgeries. Right. So who knows what Jordan Adams would have done? Right. Does it matter that they don't have a clear voice? In other words, it's very clear. Like I don't think we can speculate as to who has more power or less power. Right. And we've heard you know Dave Yeager liked Jordan Adams, and then the Grizzlies are quick to tell you other players that they he liked who didn't turn out. And it's right. we're back to the Heisley. Um, who made this decision? I, Does it matter? I so much? Can't, I've come. I've come around to the notion that Chris Wallace wields a lot more power than he's given credit for. I agree with that because in the latter years of the Heisley era, I mean, like there was tons of people who wanted other guys than Roten and Selby. But right. at the end of the day, Chris took all the information in and said, "This is who we're picking." And they look like his picks. Yeah. Most of them, they look like his picks. I think. I mean, like, um, particularly I mean, in something like the draft. I mean, yeah. we can argue about how much Joe Abadi, how much influence he has in the organization, but you can't believe that he's a huge draft guy, can you? No, I mean, no. Right. And Chris, Chris, his Chris's career comes out of the draft. Right. It right. comes right. out of that, you know, high school and college. And oh sort yeah, of this the, is and all of that. This is what he loves. This is what he gets off on. So it doesn't so much bother me that there's I mean, it would be nice to be able to blame someone or to be able to, you know, say this (laughs) is somebody. This is your pick. You would hope a Robert Parra would know, because then in the end, you hold people responsible. Well, I I think I think it would also be nice. I think it wouldn't matter to your point if if they came out of the room and unified, because all you got is, well, you know, whispers. They should have taken Rodney Hood. I, I think so, you know, like I mean, well, like, so if they came out unified, yeah, you wouldn't you make worry about who, who's making the pick. I think there was a lot of that around it, around Jaeger and his displeasure. Yeah. Generally speaking, I don't think the current structure. You say it's similar to the way it was in the past. And I think it is to a degree. I think there's less that whispering than there used to be. Yeah, in the in the Heisley era, I, I think I think that's true because you had the Baroni saying, "Well, I was right. Curry." And yeah, that, you know, I, it, it was <laughs> it was easy back then to to hear. Well, this guy like this guy, and this guy like that guy. Right. That, that is that information does not flow as freely. Well, Baroni, like for to. example. Um, I, the young Baroni told me before the draft he was going to draft. He wanted Curry. Like, yeah. I give him yes, credit for young Baroni. He told me before the draft. He said he, he told came me, out. He, told he me said, he'd be a star. He said I came out and. I'm happy because I was able to stand on the table and deliver my defense. This is before the draft and deliver my argument for Steph Curry. And so I was heard. But then you heard other things like Tony Sr. hated the love trade, hated the love trade, was going to go to, you know. So did Mark Averoni. And there were lots of, and you'd always hear that. Here, if we hear it someday, it won't be immediately after. It might be in two years if the draft picks bomb, but we aren't going to well, hear I acrimony mean, like, now. Like I was saying, I mean, the only real thing like that we've heard the last couple of years has been about Rodney Hood, and that right. was from Jaeger. 
Right. Um, we haven't heard that in terms of the front office. I'm sure there's disagreement about things within that front office, right. but it hasn't trickled out. I right. agree right. completely. Yeah. Oh, we left out of um, the the uh, grind sign. That yeah. Was another. I mean, that was a second. second. That no. was a, that was a second round pick in a bad draft. They have yeah. literally <laughs> never had a second round pick who was hit. Sam Young played a little a bit. A little bit. Sam helped him win he's, games. He helped right. him win some games. Yeah. He's, the, he's sort of the he, only. He's yeah. sort of the only one. It, back to I'm curious, Chris, when you were talking about the the need versus the and the, and then what it really is is about fit. To take this draft for example, though, let's pretend that you believe that Tyler Eulis is going to be a really good right. NBA player, right? Yep. And let's and pretend I, I, that in the abstract, I, I think they might believe that. And let's pretend that in the abstract that you think. Wade Baldwin will be less good, right? But good, but but pretty good. Clear, better fit with Baldwin because he's a better, big and can play with Connolly. Right? Would you in that universe? You clearly, if you were starting an expansion team, you take Tyler Eulis. In this world of where fit matters, would that change that? I, I, I know, actually, you think Baldwin might be better anyway. But 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 yeah. but but pretend this is thus. Would I, you take? Would I, you ignore I think, the little? Guy? I think that's when you get into the tough conversation, and you have to argue. You have to b- debate. Okay, we have let's say we have Eulis fifteen and Baldwin sixteen. Was well, that a close fifteen to sixteen, or is that? I mean, how much? How much does that mean? Like, how 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 confident are we? I think you have to bring both things to bear. Ultimately, you're not. You have to get talent. So if you have a conviction that the one guy is clearly better than the other, you take the guy who you think is clearly better. If it's murkier than that, and one guy has a clear path to playing time and development on your team, and the other guy may struggle to develop on your team, I think you have to take that into account because I think it's I think it's half drafting and half development. I wonder in that scenario how much uh, influence like Coach Fisdale would have because I'm not right. I'm not saying Baldwin is is Mario Chalmers, but he is a combo guard. Right. He has a skill set. That Fizz tends to like. I mean, having had a history of developing guys like that. Well, that's one of the things I wondered today is this whole question of production versus tools. And you know, you having like you know, Hollinger comes from, comes from from a school that's more production based. It seems like maybe the other guys may be a little bit more tools based. Does the coaching change impact how you think about that? Do you now, after you've hired David Fisdale and given his track record with player development and the Heat's track record with player development, do you talk yourself into? we are going to do a much better job at taking the clay and molding it than we used to. Yeah, and mean, does that give you more license to take like a Malachi Richardson who everyone's talked about who is, yeah. you know, everyone's, you know, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but yeah. the river of a promise, but that's a guy who is pure tools. He's he's 6'6 with a seven-foot wingspan, and he's got a quick first step, and it's all like classic scouting. I'm eyeballing this guy. And the and NLX then, people then, hate him. Hate then, him. Well, then, you look, then you look at the actual what he's done in games, and it's like not very good yeah. by the standards of a first-round draft pick. But to your point, I, I would like to think that Fisdale will be very big in team building as the Grizzlies move forward because we're, we're about a year away from moving away from grit and grind. Right. And they've invested in this young coach who they say is for now and for the future. I would like to think he would be heavily involved. But you can argue, which, what, which way does it cut? In other words, is he going to get want to get pieces that he can fit into this team to win in the next two years? Or are you saying David Fisdale's a guy who can get the most out of a high upside person like Tony Roten, and so we therefore, because he's going to be a great developer of talent, we can go ahead and get that type of player. I don't actually know. I do think, oddly enough, there's an instinct in this organization. It's sort of 
to some, and I wonder if you get a, a new coach, you want to make them happy. You want to get them pieces that they want. Very clearly, some one of the biggest, the worst drafts that they ever had was the draft where they just turned it over to Hubie and said, you can have Troy. Right. Uh, right. Troy, <laughs> Troy Bell. Troy yeah. Bell. And then they got Dante Jones oh, in that right. draft, too, because he wanted two NBA guys who could plug Dante in Jones. and play right away. Right. So, but I'm, I'll be interested to see what Fisdale's influence well, would be, but also if, how much it will be. Yeah. I don't know how it is behind the scenes, but, but Fisdale has given the sense of being much more at least initially, of a go-along, get-along guy. That he's not, I think he I think he will have a voice at the table and they'll give him a voice at the table, but he doesn't seem like he's the guy who's going to be mad if they go away from what he wants, like when he's been here for three weeks. He doesn't I, come across that way. I agree with that, but I also believe that um, they're very interested in his, his uh, developing a culture here. I mean, they, they want some of that Miami right. yep. heat culture. And so he, he's going to be, he's in charge of the locker room, he's in charge of the plane, he's in charge of the... Uh, the court. So, you know, he's not going to just sit on the sidelines can we, a long time. Can we read anything into uh, the Mike Connolly situation by what happens Thursday night? Will it have, in other words, it doesn't matter one way or another. You're not drafting. Chris and I both shaking our head. Yeah, no, right. you can't see it. You're yeah. starting a that they have a need at point guard, even if they bring Mike Conley back. So drafting a point guard would have would have no comment. It's not how you replace so, Mike. Conley. Some, some no. people are going to say that if they right. draft a point guard, it's not true. But they need a point guard anyway, even right. if they because keep they Conley. don't have one. Right, right. <laughs> right. So so a they need a point guard even if they keep Conley, and b if Conley leaves, your starting point guard is not going to be drafted in this draft. Right. You have to go find somebody else. Right. No. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't think anything has changed. You know, people are putting out rumors and writing. That you know, the Grizzlies are worried that Mike Conley is going to leave. Well, what's changed between the end of the season meetings, where he said, "I want to get paid, and I just like to see uh, how they build the roster." Right. Well, they haven't well, gotten. They, does, they haven't they, gotten that Fisdale far. Fisdale has met with him since then. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying right. that you should be worried, yeah. but I mean, I will say they have a little more information than that. David Fisdale has gone to meet with him, presumably, right. and that's why I think the culture that he establishes is going to be extremely important to these guys. Not to denigrate the report that came out on that, but it, A, it came out of New York, and this stuff has a tendency to come out of New York because I think every free agent is going to New York. <laughs> and B, it wasn't one of you know the two or three people around the NBA right. who I who have a who have a history of being connected to the Grizzlies organization. This you. did not come from someone. And it who also was, wasn't even as a track record, even for right. all, and even within all that, it wasn't it was particularly strong. strongly yeah, sourced. Right. It was I hear so it might be a little. I'm wordy. not saying Conley's going to be back, but I don't put right. any credence into that thing. You brought up Richardson, and obviously there was a report over the weekend since retracted that. The Grizzlies made a promise. Now, you know, the, the reality is we don't know if this is true, but promises are made all right. the time in the NBA. And if you look at the Grizzlies, there was a rumor when DeMar Carroll was coming out and was that 09 that the Grizzlies made a promise and they ended up with DeMar Carroll. Last year, reports that they promised Jarrell Martin. Jarrell Martin. Right. Um, I'll go back to Jerry West again when he first got here in 02. He wanted to replace Stromile Swift and had his eye on Amari Stoudemire, but Amari Stoudemire wouldn't meet or work out with the Grizzlies, and because Phoenix promised him to be, you know, they, right. they, they would take him, so they shut him down. So it does happen. Well, and Chris Wallace has a demonstrated his documented history of promises in Boston, and he, yeah. but he uses that as the evidence for why he doesn't, he no longer does it. And so yeah. I don't know. You well, can make it, an argument. The funny thing is, of course, is promises first are used to 
to to convince someone to enter the draft, right? If you enter the draft, we will take you at. That would be the first thing. And then the right. second would be we, you'll, you shut down your workouts so no one else can discover what we know about how awesome right. you and are. That means people drafting ahead of you. You don't right. care about the people, people behind you. Right. So Malachi Richardson has had, already had a great workout. He already had a great workout. We've seen him in college. I don't know what shutting him down right. would do. Honestly, well, yeah, he had this pro day in, in Las Vegas right. that everybody got excited Raved about. about. Yeah, we'd right. already seen him there. I, you know, I th- there's enough smoke around that stuff that I, I can't discount it. But I, but I'll, I tend to believe what makes the most sense a lot of the times, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't understand the rationale for promising Malachi Richardson at at this stage. Um, and then, like the Jarrell Martin thing was weird because Jarrell Martin even said after the fact, you know, they told they told me they were going to take me, but I was worried, blah blah blah, which suggested to me what some people call a soft promise, which is, you know, if the draft shakes out the way we expect it to, we're probably going to take you, but, but you leave yourself some wiggle room. Yeah, people, p- players say that. Like as a, as a Buffalo Bills fan, I swear every single player who was drafted this year. In the post said, "Oh yeah, Rex said he was going to take me. right, right. Like right. I mean, that's I knew they were going to take me. Occasionally, you'll say someone out of the blue. Well, and the other thing with Gerard Martin is, like last year, between when the the promise was reported and between the draft, the great evidence people used was, ah, he shut his workouts down with this phony injury. Well, then we discovered that was not a phony oh, injury. Right, he was right. very much hurt. Right, right. Yeah. So in terms of in terms of as a player, I." I know you have a draft board, uh, Chris, and I commend people. I commend <laughs> you for having one because it, it is without the workouts. I find it very difficult. Now we used to get into the workouts. I find I, it, I, I put a huge asterisk on anything I've, I say about these guys. I haven't seen them in person. I find it very difficult. I will say I'm. I worry a little bit about Malachi Richardson just because the production is. His, you know, two point shooting is sub forty percent. Right. He's not. People say he's an athlete. He's not an athlete. He's an athletic specimen, and that he's got huge long wingspan. And right, but he he's not explosive. He doesn't finish. He's got a good stroke. Deep, evidently, looks good. Is right. but from the scouting perspective, yeah, it's, it's, it's looks eyeball, good. But right. Historically, has not gone in. I mean, so I I worry a little bit about that. Pack. I remember asking Tony Brown Senior once about about whether a guy's a shooter, and his response was, "I don't care about shooters. I care about makers." And so <laughs> right. this guy hasn't been a maker yet. Doesn't mean he won't be. Well, M- Malik Beasley seems to be. I mean, he fits the whole athletic. Uh, he's being compared to uh, Wesley Matthews. Can get hot from three. Right. Uh, there's another you know shooting guard that. You know, could fit a need. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a he's a guy who's got a little bit of an injury problem. He had to shut down his workouts, and I wonder if you're the Grizzlies, can you to, keep going down that road? Well, if yeah. your your last two first round picks have have had multiple surgeries or procedures, they're both going to miss summer league. So, does that make you more skittish about drafting a guy at 17 who has an injury problem, and that impacts Malik Beasley? It impacts Tyler Eulis, who has the hip thing. It impacts Denzel Valentine, who people say has a knee condition that's along the lines of a Dewan Blair, Brandon Roy, Danny Granger. Like it, he may not last into his 30s. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if if your history with with injured players the last two drafts makes you a little bit more wary. Was there anything for Jordan? Obviously, with 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 Jarrell, we sort of knew something about it. Jordan Adams was just out of the blue. He had it? had an inj- he had had an injury, I think, his freshman year of college, but it was not related to the thing. It was not it, considered right. to be an issue. No, you were not taking damaged and goods, it, rolling the dice. And on it certainly Jordan is Adams. No, no relation to the knee injury he later had. And all of it remains mysterious. Right. What do you um, think of? I see that you on your board, Chris, have Sabonis. All right? right, as number two on your board, the player you would take. Now, I I think he will be a good pro. Yeah. I think he will be a good pro. Clearly not 
highest in terms of need. They've got bigs, and he's not even a stretch for. He's exactly the kind of player I think the Grizzlies are least likely to take in in theory because he's a big man who doesn't protect the rim and doesn't stretch the floor. And they got nothing but big men who don't protect the rim and don't stretch the floor. They They have a whole roster full of traditional old school big men, right? I just think at some level he's just so he is so productive that he just becomes a, and that's why I think he'll be gone. I think he'll probably go in in the lottery, but he at least in theory could be there. He's a guy who he's big, he's tough, he rebounds like crazy, he scores like crazy. He's got the he's got the pedigree from his dad, Arvidas Sabonis. He's got super skilled super skilled post post game. He's shown the ability to stretch out the jump shot. I just think he is a relatively safe bet to be a good NBA player. And I think at some level, you know, it's sort of like the tier thing, right? Like if he's still there at seventeen, like he's almost certainly going to be the most proven good player on the board. And at that point, how about either of the international big guys? Well, I mean, we're, we can get off on a big tangent, but I but I, I like the two big men from the Adriatic League, whose, whose names about, right. I'm going to mispronounce. One is Avaka Zubic, the other is Anti Zizic, I believe. Um, Zizic is has been more productive. They're both 19 years old. Right. They're both centers. They came and out of, every time you turn around, there's some international well, big guy who's turning out to both, be a terrific both, player. The both, center, the both centers who come out of the same part of the world in the same league as the two guys in Utah, at Denver who are really good, which is Yusuf Nurkic and um, Nikola Jokic, who was third in rookie of the year last year. Um, these guys are, are, are true centers. They've been super productive in this league. Um, Zizic has been more productive, but he's more of an energy rebound, run the floor guy. Zubik who Grizzlies have worked out, by the way, he, he he came to the U.S. and worked out for four teams. And his agent said, we're only working out for the four teams that scouted us overseas and have shown the most interest. And Grizzlies are one of those one of four teams. So don't be surprised if this guy pops up because he's actually come to Memphis for a workout. But he is 7'1". He's 260 pounds. He's got like a 7'6 wingspan. He's got post moves. He can finish with both hands. He's like a young Marcus All without the defense and passing, but with a little bit more athleticism. I just don't think there are many human beings on the planet who are seven one, two sixty, and have who have who, are, who, who are skilled right, right. and aren't total athletic stiffs. Well, and so of all the guys I watch film on, that's the guy I most looked at and said, "Well, that guy's an NBA player." Well, if one of those guys are down there, I mean, is it ridiculous for the Grizzlies to go that route, given that Mark is the only true center, and then right. like Brandon Wright can play his natural position at power forward? I think it's. I think. I think that's the best best player available kind of pick if they make it. I think it's a tough one to justify to a lot of the fans. I would have no problem with it. The player who they're going to draft this year is not going to be the one. If they got wing problems this year, they're going to have to solve them somewhere other than in the draft. Right. They got point guard problems. They're going to maybe a backup. Maybe if you really hit it right, you right. can get some backup point guard help here out of the draft. I got. They don't get players out of the draft. Well, you they we, need players. We're talking I'm about with you. We're talking about Malachi Richardson, who who who's on most of these mock drafts because there's the rumor. The promise. The only guy who they brought into town twice is Tarian Prince, who's another wing, college wing player. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like Tarian Prince, but to me, he looks like at he's looks like he is a high floor, low ceiling. He's a very he's a pretty safe bet to be an NBA player who can play in games for you and help you. Has almost zero chance of being more than a role player. It's like you know, it's somewhere between Tony Snell and Damari Carroll. He's like a six eight guy who's going to play some defense and catch and shoot, but can't really do much with the ball. And that's sort of a safe pick, but at 17, it just feels like settling to me. Well, I, I just wonder, to Jeff's point, they just don't get players. I wonder if, if we're going to see a shift in philosophy because they don't get players because they go into the draft saying this guy's not going to play for us. You know, like Jarrell Martin 
right. wouldn't have played unless they had 28 <laughs> different players come through him and play. So um, they, they have to have more they, of a willingness. They have to have a yes. willingness. So they have to take a guy with the mindset that we're going to find a way to get him in. I mean, let's face it. Even when Jordan Adams was healthy, Dave didn't even think about that. I do think the coaching change is going to help in this regard. Yeah. And I also think necessity is going to help in this regard. Because they have so many open spots. Right? Right. And you can't fill them all in free agency. Yep. Yeah. The interesting thing to me is is what you were just saying, Chris, about Prince is we put ceilings on play. And that we say he's not going to be more. Well, that is why they didn't take Draymond Green, right, in the end, because he's just going to be a role player. It is remarkable how many... And Chris Vernon talks a lot about this. Seniors develop who we think have ceilings turn right. out not to have ceilings, whereas the guy who we, we love their ceilings, the Tony Rones of the world, turn out to only be floors or basements. They have basements at that point. It, it, it is. I will say, you look at anyone's draft, criticize the Grizzlies all you want. Drafts are a mess. There are, the drafts are a disaster. There are, there are NBA more, drafts in particular. There are more misses than hits. Yep. Yeah. Even Across high the board. first round. And there's so much more we don't know than we do now. You know, and I don't just mean us. I just right. mean people who make decisions for NBA right. teams. Right. Like you can, you can be the best scout in the world. You can have the best analytical projection system in the world. You can bring all this to bear, and you're going to be right maybe half the time anyway. Well, look at many drafts that you redraft, and look where some of the players come from at the top. A lot of them are the Draymond Greens of the world who, who taken in the second round. The Marcus Halls. Do we Marcus expect? Uh, do we expect movement by the Grizzlies on this draft night? I tend to say no because it's always more likely something won't happen than something will. It takes effort to, to make something happen, right. and you have to have another team involved. And so it seems like the smart bet is always no. Well, the smart bet is always they do something in the second round. Because they, <laughs> right. they, they, they usually do. They have a history of chasing <laughs> yes. picks. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and that's kind of like a cheap way of, of you You, t- you of talk yourself into some guy. People get excited yeah. about Jarnell Stokes or Antonio Burks. But I, or I, do, I do think something's going to happen for a few reasons. Number one, this is a weird draft, and you have so many teams with multiple picks. There are four teams with three first round picks in the this draft and some of those have high second round picks they can't use all those picks they got to do something with them the Grizzlies just acquired all these future uh, draft picks in February with the Jeff Green and Courtney Lee trade um, I, I said at the time I think they'll try to use one of those as a trade chip and, and cash it in sooner um, and I think every team in the league looks up you know at pick number 25 or 32 or 38 and you're like We've got that guy at 16 on our board. And that will be true for every team in the league, by the way. Every team in the league will look up at pick number 35 and see a guy right. who they've got at number 17 because all these boards get different. And then you say, well, we got to go out and chase that guy, like Jarnell Stark, Stokes, right. or like Jamal Franklin or whatever. So I do think they're likely to do something. All right, we're going to wrap this up with predictions. Chris, you're, if your guy's there, who do you want? Uh, Wade Baldwin, point guard out of Vanderbilt. I didn't know we were doing this. I'll take <laughs> Valentine. I like him. I'm rolling the dice on the knee. Denzel, Michigan State. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I got Baldwin on my little notepad here. I, I like liked, him. But for the record, <laughs> I like Tyler Eulis a lot. Yeah. And I'd almost be tempted to hell with it, whether my family's small. <laughs> I just think he's going to be a good player. Yeah. All right. We'll find All out right. on Thursday. All right. That wraps it up. Thanks for listening. This is the Commercial Appeal.